Welcome to 100 PM, the show where we interview 100 active product managers from startup to enterprise and everything in between, all from one great city every season. If you're joining us for the first time, be sure to visit our website, 100productmanagers.com. That's the number 100, productmanagers.com. It's the web's fastest growing resource for product management topics. We've got tons of great articles about business, technology, and design, fabulous contributors, and the official must-read, listen-to, follow list, as recommended by our incredible guests, week over week. It's season one. We're here in Los Angeles. I'm your host, Susanna Bate, resident instructor at General Assembly and founder of The Development Factory. Welcome, and thanks for listening. As a product manager, your role is a strategic one. To steer your product toward its goals through the ups and downs of the product life cycle. Oftentimes, you inherit somebody else's vision, and sometimes that vision is your own. I'm talking about founders, and today we're talking with one. Let's meet Jim Simic, product manager and co-founder of Product Plan. Tell us, uh, our listeners, who you are and what is Product Plan. Sure. Uh, my name is Jim Semek. I'm founder, one of the founders of Product Plan. Uh, we do product roadmap software. It's web-based business management software. Um, and Product Plan is a way of communicating a product manager's strategic product roadmap. And we actually sell to thousands of product teams uh, all over the world. Uh, we're actually in 50 countries. Wow. And uh, we've been in business about four years and uh, things have gone really well for us because we've really hit a nerve with this problem of being able to communicate a roadmap. You, I, I wanna go back for a minute. We're gonna talk about product plan, of course, but you spent a lot of time working consultatively for other companies, some pretty large scale technology companies, you were with Microsoft, you were with Citrix. So, mm -hmm. you know, in my mind, and I say this as a, a serial entrepreneur, why leave that cushy consulting role to be a founder? Yeah, that's a that's a great question. I um, have actually been in my career uh, both a consultant, I've started companies, and I've been a W-2 employee at different stages. And each one tends to suit a certain stage of my life. And um, the consulting lifestyle is great. I love it. Uh, it has a lot of um, uh, a lot of benefits. It has a lot of freedom and flexibility. And uh, you have the opportunity of, of earning a good living. But there are downsides to it. Uh, the downsides are not owning anything at the end of the day. Right. And um, in consulting and having worked as a product manager and um, uh, and new product development for companies, uh, at the end of the day, you're still helping someone else develop their vision and their product. And there's quite a bit of satisfaction in that in itself. Um, but being an entrepreneur and, and starting something of your own, there's nothing like that feeling. It's a commitment though. Like the, mm -hmm. you know, my business partner says this all the time, starting is easy, finishing is hard and you know there there's a lot of risk that comes with it for sure right you're obviously spending a lot of time doing this there's financial risk there's um, 
you know, uh, there's time away from family and friends. Um, you're spending time with, in my case, a co-founder, and you need to have a fantastic relationship with that co-founder in order for this to work. And luckily we do. We have a terrific relationship. Did you work together before? I mean, how did you and Greg meet? No, we hadn't We hadn't worked together, um, but we knew of each other through the, the tech community here. It's a relatively small entrepreneurial community. And, um, and when I was considering doing something, I um, got together with Greg and we started talking about some ideas. And then that led to us at one point deciding to actually do something together. Um, but it was a months long process before we got to that point. We spent a lot of time going on hikes and paddleboarding before we actually made the decision to go into business together. I think that's the official LA way of doing business. I, I say this a lot about people coming to LA, which is if you don't yourself have a focus, you can really trick yourself into thinking that you're doing work because you know people are always meeting on patios and it looks like work is hot. I mean, we took a meeting, we did a hike, something, right. something's getting done. Right. You were building the relationship, which yeah, is critical I, to a, a good partnership. It's so essential. And it's, it's not as much skill sets and having complementary skill sets. That's important. Um, but I think it's even more important to have uh, uh, a good relationship, shared values, common goals. That's what's important. You can get that information only by spending time with someone and having a beer or going on a hike. So I'm interested, you you said that you and Greg spent some time going back and forth and talking about different ideas, mm -hmm. which makes it sound like it wasn't that there was this very specific burning idea that you had to bring to life as much as almost a reverse engineering of what would make a great business for us to work on together. Yeah, that's, that's exactly right. We um, first set out to figure out what kind of business we wanted to start. At the end of the day, how, how big is this business going to be? Uh, is it going to be a consumer business or a business, a B2B business? What sort of culture do we want to have? Do we want to be funded or do we want to bootstrap it? And what, what are the roles that we're going to play? How do we, how do we fit into that? Um, and so we had those conversations before we decided the business to start. And we both had a laundry list of potential ideas and um, went through a validation on on those ideas and eventually um, picked this opportunity of product plan because it had uh, has so much potential but we spent a lot of time figuring out what and agreed on what we wanted to achieve in terms of the business before we started actually developing and writing code that's the most pragmatic founder statement that I've ever heard of really? all of well because usually it's I had an idea I went headstrong into the idea the the you know the seasoned entrepreneurs realize three quarters of the way down the path all the mistakes they made but they managed to persevere and, and course correct mm -hmm. and figure something out some of them you know burn out it well the irony is it's incredibly pragmatic and it's really the right way to do it but it's so anomalous because most people just kind of ignore pragmatism mm -hmm. in in service of like a billion dollar concept. Sure, and and it's exciting to talk about the billion dollar concept and to drive forward with that and be very dogmatic and, and make that happen. Um, but the reality is that so many of those billion dollar ideas don't come to fruition um, for a whole host of reasons. Um, and I think 
the, our approach to starting the company was influenced by a couple of things. One is that we're both a little more mature. We're, you know, we've, we've both have been in and launched products for a number of years and, and have done this before. And um, my experience with the company where I was before product plan um, and before I was doing consulting was at Folio. And this, uh, this is a large um, B2B software as a service company. Uh, they went public last year. Um, and they ha- the, the founder had a vision to be the SAP, the big, you know, large SAP company mm-hmm. uh, for small and mid-sized businesses. So mm-hmm. that was the vision underlying it. And we went through a very structured process to validate different markets that might have an opportunity with that model. And so I think a lot of what we did at Product Plan was influenced by that process. We validated a dozen different markets and uh, eventually chose property management uh, as, the, as the initial market, but then continued doing validations in other markets to discover opportunities. So it was really about trying to find the, the right opportunity that had the right market potential, that had big enough pain where you can find buying customers who had a, a big enough pain. And you know sometimes the, the, the billion dollar idea is putting the cart before the horse. Right. Um, and you know because you might have this fantastic idea that everyone buys off on, including investors and, uh, and but at the end of the day, can you really sell that? And is it on a customer's priority list? Is it high enough on their priority list for them to actually write the check or put down their credit card? Yeah, I mean, I, I think, well, what we're talking about, you say validation, uh, we're talking about customer development. And, you know, you even have this on your resume as an actual title, mm-hmm. customer mm-hmm. development. Right. Which is, well, well, tell us about customer development as, as you would define it, right? Yeah. For our listeners mm-hmm. who maybe are going, customer development, what's that? Yeah, yeah, it's, a, it's actually a structured process that you can use to, uh, to validate a potential idea. Um, and it's, an, it's, it's basically getting out and talking with potential customers. That's it in a nutshell. Um, but there is a structured process. Um, and Steve Blank is um, one of the gurus of customer development. And the process is four different steps. Um, the first one being um, problem discovery, where you're discovering problems. And then you have a customer discovery phase where you're really understanding the customer and, and their needs. Um, and so there are a variety of phases that you go through with this process. But I, uh, at the early stage, it's really about discovering problems. It's understanding your customer and a day in the life of your customer, trying to really understand um, their world and how your solution might fit into their world. And then it's test selling. It's test selling that, um, that idea against them. And uh, so he has a variety of techniques and, and um, uh, questions and, and uh, things like that that help you through that process of customer development. Right. Yeah, it's to go back to the, the pragmatism comment, you know, I'll never forget, I had a student of my product management course had her own epiphany around class number three. We were talking about customer development. And she said, it sounds like what you're saying is just go out and check if people want this before you build up the whole business and build the product. And I'm like, yeah, that's what I'm saying. Mm-hmm. She said, but it sounds so obvious. And I said, yeah, that's what's so kind of phenomenal about it is it's so obvious 
it's it should be so obvious rather right? right but it's not i mean steve blank wouldn't have written the book if it were that obvious he, you know he talks exactly. about that it hasn't been obvious for so many entrepreneurs before then and even still with so much I mean, there's so much out there in the kind of under the umbrella of you know lean startup lean thinking lean management which is ultimately about reducing waste. Mm -hmm. The waste of building a product that nobody wants, the waste of spending money trying to figure that out when you could, as it sounds like you and Greg did, just go buy a couple people beer and start to kind of dust around and see. Well, I have this vision of you just like poking into people's pain a little bit. It's like, (laughs) how does that feel? Does that hurt? Okay, wait, (laughs) Greg, we might be onto something. On a scale of one to 10. Exactly. Yeah. And our, our process was a little more structured than beers, although there were beers involved. Uh, but we used GoToMeeting extensively, and and um, I used LinkedIn extensively to target potential customers. Um, we created landing pages that people could sign up for a beta version of this forthcoming product. And when they did, we would reach out to them and find out what they what they needed. And so we interviewed. By the time we started actually writing the software, we had interviewed 60 or 70 people to really thoroughly understand product managers. And both Greg and I have a product manager background. Um, and so, so that those 60 or 70 interviews supplemented our, our existing knowledge about the market um, and about the, the process. And it really pointed out the pain that product managers have around um, around product roadmaps. And so we really understood what they were doing today and, and how we could fit into that and how we can just do it so much better. But the, the process is, um, I agree, it's, it's amazing that more startups and more even more companies, even within larger product management organizations, don't have a process like this, where you're engaging with existing customers or potential customers to understand the problems um, before you start to build something. And we've all been in these organizations before, I'm sure, where people are sitting around the table and everyone says, that's a great idea, let's do that. And then it gets implemented, right? Right. right. And that's where the pivots happen or where features don't get used or products fail. Yeah, I, I usually say there's a certain type of validation you should save for your parents. If you just want to be told that you're yeah. beautiful, they will tell you. And then, you know, no no money will get lost. And I appreciate, though, that, that you were both product managers and yet you still had the discipline to get more feedback. Because I think the other danger can sometimes be, um, and, you know, maybe to give people who don't know about this discipline more credit... I used to be a, a broker and so I came up with a great idea for brokers and that's rooted in understanding the possible pain, Right. but it's still very, very centered around your experience or maybe one or two complexions of that experience. And so it seems that you and Greg could have just as easily with your own product management background if you weren't so kind of bought into customer development as a process said, well, we already know product management and this is the right thing, but you still talk to 60 or 70 folks before you. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's possible that we would have developed the same product. I suspect not. We probably would have had more misses. We may not have charged the right price or we may not have had the right feature set or we may not have had the right messaging. The process is so inexpensive. It's really just time. Um, And I think it's so integral to product managers to implement a process like that. Um, And 
I think I think most product managers, um, after a while, they understand their domain well enough, and they understand their their the customer persona well enough that you can start to make some, you know, instinctive calls on things. And I think we're to that point too. Even though we talk to customers every day for whatever reason, I was on a usability test this morning, for example. The the there are still those those new things that are coming out, new features or new services that still require validation um, because you don't really know what the answer is and you can make some gut calls about things but um, you're you're reducing risk substantially by by using this process what is the problem that product plan actually addresses for product managers so most product managers or all product managers have a roadmap process they have a roadmap document. It might be a PowerPoint presentation or it might be an Excel spreadsheet. And the, there are so many problems just with that. One is that you're, you're typically operating in kind of an archaic format, the PowerPoint presentation. Is this archaic format that requires a lot of time to update? So that's one of the core problems. Um, the, they will send around this presentation or a PDF or maybe an Excel spreadsheet and then the stakeholders, whether that's sales or marketing or operations or whoever their, their stakeholders are, they don't know what the latest version of the roadmap is because you know they have to look in their email and, and so on. Or maybe it's out on a Confluence website and they're still not sure if it's the, the latest version. So there's that problem. And then product managers have challenges with getting the right information to the right people. So the roadmap that you share with the VP of marketing probably is a little bit different than what you share with the sales team. Okay? So these require different permutations of the roadmap. And so there's that problem. And so the product manager um, goes through a regular planning process and everyone goes about it differently. Right? The prioritization process that you use and the, the method that you use is different than the, than the other product managers. And, and then at the end of the day, the stakeholders aren't getting the right information that they need um, and the right level of detail either. And then, of course, the poor VP of products is there trying to aggregate all of this information together for their regular quarterly planning meetings. And it's a little bit of chaos. And so that's the problem. That's what we really honed in on during these, these validation interviews, that the, the product manager, especially during the roadmap presentations, that's their opportunity to shine. And they want it to look good. And so they're spending an inordinate amount of time working in these archaic documents, trying to make it look good. And the prioritization process that they use, the way that they think about prioritizing is different for everyone. And so that's what Product Plan does, is that we come in and we standardize that process. We, um, our, our product helps uh, create in a very short amount of time a compelling product roadmap at the right level of detail. It's easy to share because it's web-based and we have a variety of mechanisms to share out that roadmap. And then we have uh, uh, features that let you roll up all of the individual product management roadmaps into a single portfolio view that we call the master plan. And so you can see it in a glance what everybody is working on, what the plans are, and this is easy for stakeholders to get. So, you know, people that with our with our product, you can easily generate a, a living roadmap that everyone has access to, and so your stakeholders can then get self-service access to the roadmap. So that's a little bit about the problem that we solve and and how we solve it. So the company is a little more than four years old. Mm -hmm. Do you consider yourselves to be a startup still? I, uh, yeah, 
You do. Yeah, definitely. We're we're a startup. We're um, as I mentioned at the beginning, we're we're selling to companies all over the world. We're selling to enterprises. Um, we have some just fantastic customers uh, on our roster, including um, Intuit and and Marriott Corporation and Alaska Airlines and um, and and so many more. And uh, so in terms of the stability of the product and you know security and all of these things that are important to enterprises um, we, we definitely are there but in terms of the the life cycle of our product and where we are I really feel that we've just begun uh, there is there is so much more for us to do to really fulfill the vision um, that we set out initially um, we have a lot of very very happy customers and um, things are going very well here and we were actually surprised at the market opportunity it turned out to be quite a bit bigger than we expected at the beginning we thought that the product was focused on software product managers and it turns out that everyone is all companies are a software company to some extent you know we have financial services companies like fidelity companies like that are using our product you don't think of fidelity as being a software company you don't think of marriott corporation as being a software company but they are they all have mobile apps they all have websites they all have internal systems and all of those require a roadmap and all of those require planning and communicating to stakeholders and so this um, the core vision that we have is helping our customers communicate their strategy more effectively. That's really the the vision. And there's so much more for us to do in that area. Well, you know, the interesting thing I think about product as a discipline is how it's becoming increasingly integrated. And so what I mean by that is, depending on, on where you work, of course, to be an effective product manager, you need to understand marketing as well as you need to understand development and software delivery processes. So there's becoming more and more integration. The thing that I'm seeing sort of in reverse is that disciplines like marketing, for example, are starting to take cues from sort of the agile software delivery world and saying, how can we adopt an agile approach to our department. So even if it's a more structured, siloed idea, they're saying, how can we be there? So, you, you, you know, mm-hmm. whether you're consciously kind of crossing the chasm or not, perhaps part of what you're seeing is other people saying, that makes sense. That's a process that, that serves us. Absolutely. And we have customers that, Tommy Hilfiger, for example, is um, their marketing team uses product plan. And this is, something that we discovered probably within the first year that we have these other teams and whether it's marketing or ux or operations are starting to use our product for things other than true product management and that's really interesting to us you know as as a as a product manager i'm really curious about that and i really want to understand that Um, of course, keep our product focused on the core persona, which are product managers and, and product owners. Um, but at the same time, just be open to fulfilling other use cases, other jobs to be done that are out there. And right. uh, that's been just fascinating to me to see that unfold. Well, and I want to add uh, on the same topic of kind of agility and not wasting time and being flexible, that the, the software that you've built really really promotes that just from a user experience perspective i mean 
Excel can do the job. And I, I think this is, it's worth saying that you don't always need to have the fancy tools, but if you can afford the fancy tools and product plan is priced, uh, I think, you know, quite fairly. I mean, if you can afford to have the right tools, awesome. But man, the time spent refactoring an Excel document exactly. versus just sort of dragging a bar and going, well, we thought, and because we know, right, we always think it's three months and it's six months. We always think it's six months and it's a year. And so really being able to kind of reflect that change almost instantaneously mm-hmm. is powerful. And you don't lose time in the reporting gap of, oh, I, I, it's not even just the, the versioning issue that you mentioned, but actually forgetting to notify everybody that everything is going like this. And being able, I think, to see what it looks like, even just playing with it and say, well, what would it look like if we move it out here? Oh, it would look like a conflict. We're trying to launch this product. We're going to be strapped for resources. So it brings that visioning that that uh, vision process really to you mm-hmm. yeah absolutely and i'm that was uh, me applying for a job by the way <laughs> how did i do fantastic great okay um i i'm an advocate for product managers i you know product plan we produce a lot of content and articles and, and a book around product management and we're such advocates around product managers getting out of the weeds um, and spending time on the things that matter and the thing that matters most is about strategy. And, it's, uh, and so that's why I think it's so important for product managers to have tools or products at their disposal that eliminate those, those weeds, right? You, you want to you be spending your time engaging with a potential customer to understand their needs rather than updating a PowerPoint presentation or being in a meeting and needing to remember to update the PowerPoint presentation when you get back to your desk. So, you know, I, I think that um, it's a really fantastic time for product managers now. I think there are more products. There are, you know, there's general assembly. There are great, um, there are great resources for product managers now um, that weren't there 10 years ago. And uh, so I think, I think it's a really great time for product managers, um, but there, there is so much more for product managers to to have to make them more efficient um, so many more processes for them to understand like customer development and and uh, some of the some of the basics around product management um, to make them more effective and be more strategic right well and the strategic part of product management is the part that separates it from project management yes and it's also I think I see a lot of people get stuck in the tactical so again, to go back to the simplicity, which is just to say, and it's, it's not unlike having personas kind of, you know, pinned up beside your desk is just to have that bigger vision in your line of sight so that when you find yourself getting stuck in the micro stuff, right, right down in the trenches, you realize, wait a minute, we're losing sight of what's important. Yeah. And I, as a product manager, I've been there before. I've been in the situation where I, I feel like I'm the manager of the backlog. And I am, but it, that winds up taking so much time. And it's also comfortable, too, for a lot of people. It's comfortable to be the expert and be the one source of truth for everybody. And then you have the engineers coming and kind of lining up next to you to get all these answers to their questions. So there's some comfort in that, too. But I think it's so critical to bring bring yourself up right a level 
about that. You talked earlier when about you know coming together with Greg and sort of you know inventorying the skills and figuring out who does what. How do you negotiate who manages the vision for the product? Is it shared? Yeah. Is it yours? <laughs> yeah. No. I. Uh, that's a that's a great question because uh, both Greg and I. Uh, Greg has a. Um, a computer science degree, um, but he's not a developer. He hasn't developed for for quite a while. So, um, so neither one of us had that coding experience. And I think that a lot of startups out there, um, that's there's typically there's a developer, right, um, who codes the first version of the product. And we didn't have that. Um, and so both of us have more of a business background, but Greg is still much more technical than I am. And so it um, it's naturally kind of evolved where I am more on the um, customer success and marketing side, um, and and Greg is more on the engineering and, and product side. That's just kind of how it's evolved. But strategically for the company and where we want to take the company, where, where we want to take the product, that definitely is shared. One of the things I think it's interesting is the pivotal moment for a founder when they have to relinquish the product management role, mm-hmm. right? So product management is visionary. We talk a lot about product managers as being sort of the mini CEO. And a lot of the times the founders are the product managers. And then there's a point. There's a point where if you have outside investors, if you've got you know media, if you've got customers, whatever you've got to do, you've got to kind of go out and be that CEO. And that means letting go of, of some of that. Do you think that's hard for people? I mean, you know, you spend all those hikes coming up with this thing mm-hmm. and then you kind of just have to entrust it to someone else or a small team of somebody else's. Right. That that day will come and it will it will <laughs> it be hasn't hard. come yet. You're 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 holding right. it. Right. The so first of all, it is our baby. Right. Right. It's, we we know every nuance of this business and the, and the product and our customers. And uh, so this has been our life. And so when the time comes, I think that will be a little bit hard. But at the same time, I've worked with some incredible product managers in the past. I've worked with some people that I, I don't think I can compare as, as a product manager to these people. And so if I can if we can find product managers like that, um, who are, I think they'll be hard to find. Um, but if we can find product managers like that, I will be, I'll rest easily for sure. Okay, well, let's let's go there because we do a segment here on the show called Get the Job, Learn the Job, Love mm-hmm. the Job. Yeah. And I think I saw on LinkedIn you said you're hiring, by the way. Yes. So why don't you tell us what you think would make a great product manager? When you say mm-hmm. find product managers like that, what is that profile? Yeah. Um, so I think a fantastic product manager is someone who is curious by nature, uh, someone with a little bit of fire in their belly, someone who has uh, a little bit of an entrepreneurial bent to them, um, someone who is really comfortable engaging with customers. Um, I think that's a really important characteristic. A lot of product managers come out of the engineering world and I think to have a little bit of depending on the product of course to have a little bit of technical side to you I think that is an important trait I also think it's really important for uh, product managers to be very uh, disciplined to be very well organized but the best product managers that I know aren't these drill sergeant sort of people Um, they're actually soft-spoken and they know how to let stuff kind of roll off their back 
I think that's a really important trait for product managers because you know you're there are so many more things that need to be done in a day than you can possibly get to. And so you can't be a frenetic sort of person um, who's just running around fighting fires all day long. Um, you, need to, you need to be able to let someone else do certain things. You need to be able to know what is important and what can be dropped. You need to say no a lot, but <laughs> say be, be very nice about that, right? right? So, um, but the, the best product managers aren't these um, authoritarian figures, right? They're, they're usually more soft-spoken than that, right. at least in my experience. So what advice then would you offer somebody, maybe somebody who wants to come and work here mm -hmm. at Product Plan, maybe someone who's listening in and thinking, I think I could be the one to yeah. you know, carry the torch through to the next phase. What advice would you offer for them to get the job? Yeah, well, listener. <laughs> uh, I think the, the ideal person for us, and this may not be true for other companies, but the ideal person for us would be somebody with a, that entrepreneurial bent to them, somebody that maybe has had some entrepreneurial experience. Um, because unlike other companies, other large companies, you think of a Fortune 500 company, there aren't unlimited resources. And you need to know what the minimum viable feature is, right? You, you, you don't have unlimited resources and development time to get something out the door. So, so I think it's really important to have that sort of entrepreneurial uh, experience. You know what it's like working for a company like ours that's fast moving. We're releasing a new product every two weeks. The, you know, things happen very quickly. Decisions are made very quickly. Um, and so you don't have the luxury sometimes of doing a complete analysis of the situation right. or of writing up a report. The other skill that I think is really important is to have production software experience. I think that um, we're Scrum here at Product Plan. And I think having Scrum experience and working in an agile environment is really important. Um, so I think there's certain there's a certain amount of process that I would expect someone to have uh, to come into a, a company like this. It may not mean that they uh, had that sort of product management experience before, but at least being in that environment before, where you where you really understand the sprints and 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 that development cycle, I think is is important. Uh, so those are those are a couple of the skills that I would I would hope someone would have. Um, I also uh, would love to have the ideal product manager uh, has a good design sense too. We, we have UX, but um, everybody here at a company like ours wears a lot of different hats. And um, I would expect a product manager to wear a lot of different hats. Well, and, and that ties back to knowing the role that you want as somebody coming into an organization. Because working in a startup environment there is a certain, I mean, the upside, I think, is you're going to touch a lot of things. So yeah. if you're the type of personality that wants to touch a lot of things, you need to go somewhere small where you can be, you know, front and center with the founding team, touching design, touching the development. By contrast, if you're sort of product manager seven of one product team of 12 product teams, you know, in an enterprise environment, you're not doing UX. 
you're probably not even seeing the roadmap except when you get the link sent to you, you know? Right. So, and, and it's not to say one is better than the other, but I mean, certainly as an entrepreneur and I can, you know, see in your face, it's, yeah, we want to touch the stuff. We want to be kind of in it. Yeah. Um, this may be off topic, but I'm curious, you talked before about, you know, the decision to fund or not to fund, but did you guys ever go outside for money or did you just... No. So this is bootstrapped. This is bootstrapped, yeah, right. and it's intentionally bootstrapped. Um, there are so many uh, benefits of bootstrapping, and you know, I think the, like I said, both both Greg and I have have been in companies and launched companies um, and products for a few years, and so we have the luxury of being able to take the time and do this validation and make sure that the company is funded and and so on, and there are so many benefits to us and there's so many benefits to our customers of this um, because we can make decisions based only on what's best for the company and best for the customers. We can not be focused on doing a uh, board presentation. Instead, we can be talking with customers. Um, and so there's so many benefits that, that you get through, through bootstrapping. And uh, I'm very happy and uh, that we made that decision and we continue to make that decision today. Right. Well, and I, I think you, you know, you may be too close to it as the founder, but I'm thinking from the employee perspective and from all the new hires that are going to come to you from, from hearing this, that there's a different kind of mindset, I think, baked into, you know, when you get a big check from, from the VC fund and then everybody gets a new Mac and the office is amazing and it's like, yeah, and it feels really cool and it, it, it looks like what you expect when you think about tech and startups. But, but then, you know, you're out of a job six months later because the money ran out, nobody validated the opportunity. <laughs> Versus an organization that's bringing constantly a sense of we're doing well, we're hitting our targets, and we're not in the business of burning resources. We're not in the business of just hiring a bunch of people and not having accountability. So it's a different kind of flavor, I would imagine. I probably should exactly. talk to the employees, not you about it, but that's <laughs> that's my sentiment of hearing you discuss it. No, it's, it's so true. And I... You know, we've, we've all seen these examples of companies that get that check and look successful from the outside, yet then shutter their doors suddenly. Yeah. And um, that is not a measure of success. You know, the getting that check is not success in itself. And I think a lot of entrepreneurs think that. They think when they get that, that first, you know, that first check or the checks from angels, for example, that that is success. And um, it's not. It's really, at the end of the day, it's having it's having happy customers and and that fosters a successful business the well the other thing i think that it brings up is the importance of retention so you talk about mm -hmm. happy customers right? right when you're in a business that's subscription based right you not only have to get it right the first time you have to get it right month over month over month right and so that also brings this constant attention to how are we doing well, how are we doing now or are you happy still? Right. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, well, a couple of points about the subscription business is that um, I, I think that keeps a company on their toes. It should keep a company on their toes um, because you essentially have to win that customer over every month. Every time they see their credit card bill come in, right? You need to know that they're, that they're happy with your software. And um, so I, I think that um, uh, it is 
unlike the world of the past where you got a sizable check and you had a two-year commitment and a contract, you know, and then you could kind of rest on your laurels for, for that amount of time. Um, so I think this, in the end, is beneficial for us and for the customers to have a subscription model. And um, the other point I wanted to make about a bootstrap company is that we could not have done this 10 or 15 years ago. The amount of firepower that we have in our software, the capabilities of our software would have taken us, it, we would have had to get that check in order to, to buy the servers, in order to have the engineering talent to make that happen. Right. And that's not as necessary anymore. And you can still have um, powerful software um, and secure software and be able to sell to companies all over the world and be able to do that as a bootstrapped company today. So it's a very different world than it was a few years ago. Well, there's a sort of a beautiful connection there, which is, as you describe, if you had tried to do this a decade ago or more, you would have had to go outside because the landscape wasn't set up to enable smaller companies to play. And what you're doing at Product Plan is precisely enabling companies to play in an organized way. So it's like you're kind of continuing that narrative, right? Yeah. You give an affordable tool that's web-based, that's accessible, and that allows the next startup company, the next startup product company to bake great process right in from the ground and play. Exactly. Yeah. And we have some uh, really amazing companies building new products with help. In a, in a way from our product. And I like, I like that. I like the idea of um, us, in a sense, kind of being behind the scenes of some really neat things happening in the world. And um, so, I, you know, apart from the, the satisfaction of starting a company and, you know, helping the company grow, there's also the satisfaction as a product manager and just as a product geek yeah. watching all of this happen. Yeah. Um, well, it's all very meta anyways. It is very Product meta. management podcast with product managers building tools for product managers <laughs> so they can better manage. Okay, what about hard lessons on the job? Either mistakes that you've made personally or things where you have seen product managers struggle or fail because it's harder than it looks? Yeah. Well, I, I definitely have made mistakes. I think that uh, one of the mistakes I made was... Um, uh, trying to do too much when building a new product. Um, I did. I learned that lesson at another company. I did not do it here at Product Plan. I thought I was very much thinking, and we were very much thinking in the MVP mindset. But um, previously, you know, uh, building building software is hard, and and especially for a new product, you know, you don't you don't have something to that's relative, right? You don't know. For this next feature that I'm thinking about, how big is that thing going to be? And so I, I think that really having a minimum viable product mindset is, is something that uh, product managers should really uh, adhere to, especially in new product development. And the other mistake that I uh, have made is trying to actually document all the customer feedback that comes in. Um, I don't know if, if there's you've a done Google Doc before. somewhere that's just like hundreds. Of I think it's I think it's good to um, to you know take bullet point takeaways from calls, for example, I, I, because you know if you do enough calls, things start to blur and then you don't really know. So I think it's important to to document. But I, I in the past have have been in the mindset. Well, 
how many times have people asked for X? And now I'm, I've learned that that probably is not the best way to be a product manager. It's not about how many times someone asks for a particular feature, right? Because one, you don't know the value of that feature, right? How much difference would that feature actually make to someone? That's really the criteria. Right. Right. It's not the frequency of asking. Mm -hmm. And then customers sometimes, you know, we've heard this before, customers don't know what they want. And that is so true. They can ask for a particular feature, but there might be a better way of going about it. And that's the product manager's job is to figure out, like, how can we solve that problem in an innovative way and not simply just give them the button that they're asking for? Right. What's driving the need? Exactly. What's the job that has to be done? Um, and so, so I think that, um, you know, there's kind of that checklist sort of mentality. And I've, I've been guilty of this too. Like if something, if something is occurs enough times, then that gets higher priority. And, um, uh, I now think that that's probably not the best way to right. go about doing it. Again, brings us back to also part of the vision and saying, once you start getting out there and more people start saying it, everyone's got great ideas for you. And so the challenge mm-hmm. is learning how to, with a smile, say no and really maintain the focus or what is this or who's it for. Yeah. Or as you say, at the very least, remember back to customer development and say, well, let's just stop and ask why this is before we just accept it as true. Mm-hmm. I've been reading a lot about the Cano model. Yeah. Um, yeah. And the idea of having exciter features and these are features that customers don't know they want yeah right and and so i think that product managers are in this unique place if if you just want to be an order taker right you don't need a a a highly paid product manager to be an order taker Um, but the product manager can think about the future and give customers features that they didn't know they needed and those are those are the features that will really differentiate a product Right. Well, and, you know, talking about Kino model, we've actually got an article about it up on the website is what's important to that, of course, is making sure do I have the baseline features? Right. So this this, I think, again, goes back to the big ideas. Anybody can think of Razzmatazz and Sparkle. And if you have Razzmatazz and Sparkle, like, yeah, bring it because those delighters, those exciter features do sometimes win the race they do sometimes nudge out Mm -hmm. the competition but not in lieu of the essential things i need in order for this to to solve my problem right you have to have those baseline features just to be competitive at all and so knowing what are those baseline features knowing what aren't Mm -hmm. which is part of i think minimum viable product is saying just because everybody else has it doesn't make it a baseline feature what makes it a baseline feature is does it enable the workflow fundamentally? Does it allow us to get the job done? And that's, I think, the other distraction is, well, they just released X. They're integrating with this third party. Maybe we should do that. And so, well, maybe. That doesn't actually tell you anything, does it? Because what if their feature that they've had in the product that you think is a baseline feature is used by 5% of their customers? Right, right? exactly. So again, it's just, you know, being having that confidence, I suppose, to just steer your own ship and not be like, mm-hmm. you got to see what other people are doing, but then you can't let, exactly. that, let that drive you. What about, what do you love about product? What's your love the job sentiment? Oh, wow. Where do I start? <laughs> <laughs> I, I've, I've been in product for over 15 years now. And uh, the, the thing that thrills me is 
releasing something that makes a difference in some way in someone's day. And when I um, helped launch, I, I wrote the, the product requirements for Go to My PC and GoToMeeting. And those are two, uh, I think, for a lot of people, life-changing products. Um, the, these are products that let them you know, go to their kid's baseball game rather than going to work, right? Mm-hmm. You know, these are products that let them avoid an airline flight somewhere. And so being a part of those products that make that sort of difference in people's lives um, uh, is really thrilling for me. Um, and even um, at, at Folio, where we developed property management software, we developed features um, that let the property managers take their rent payments online and electronically. And it, it sounds simple, right? But that makes a difference in people's lives because property managers typically don't take the first week of every month off. They can't go on vacation right. because they have to be there to collect the rent checks. Well, when we introduced these features and started getting you know, 80 plus percent adoption of electronic payments, well, now they can go on vacation. And so that to me is exciting that you're able to change someone's personal life that way. I'm not claiming the product plan changes people's lives in, you know, to that extent, right? But in some way it does. For sure. Know? In some way it helps people maybe make a better presentation to their boss and therefore maybe, maybe get a raise, I don't know. Um, so those, those sorts of things um, with products are the things that excite me. Yeah. Um, making a difference. Well, and it doesn't have to be altruism. I mean, great if it is, and great if the thing that you're doing is solving a problem at you know the scale of a several hundred million people, you know, recycling desert water and turning it right. into. But but as you suggest, I think if if you can help people reinvest their time, reinvest into a proper balance of healthy living, put their energy elsewhere. That is a contribution. I, I, I'm with you. I mean, I'm, I'm, but I'm also I'm biased because I'm a productivity software everything. Yeah. That's my love as well. So I'm thinking, of course, that's beneficial. We all want to be just a little more efficient. Yeah. Get to the beach. Get surfing. Exactly. Right. Uh, what about resources? Any kind of books, blogs, podcasts, things that you think you know? You talked about Steve mm-hmm. Blank, Four Steps to the Epiphany. Yes. Anything else that you think is kind of essential reading and learning? Yeah, um, I have several uh, books on my list that I really love. Um, one of them is Marty Kagan's book. Um, I think it's called um, Creating Products That Customers Love, and um, uh, he also writes some really uh, great and thoughtful blog posts. Um, so I think that one for software product managers, I think his book is a, is, um, is a good one. Um, I think the Lean Startup is another good one. Um, uh, I think that that philosophy, that idea of, of starting small and iterating from that and learning from that, I think that's an important philosophy. And, um, I, and I think there are a lot of other blogs out there. Ken Norton has a fantastic blog. Uh, they started a while back. Um, and Product Plan, um, we have dozens of articles. Uh, in the last year, I think we published about 70 plus articles on product management. So productplan.com is a, uh, is a good resource. Um, we also created a product roadmap book. It's about, about 70 or 80 pages long. Uh, that's about the process of thinking strategically, different techniques for prioritizing the product roadmap. 
and um, actually producing the product roadmap. And we have several example product roadmaps in there. So, um, so I, I think, as I said earlier, I think now is a great time to be a product manager because there are some fantastic resources out there um, for product managers that weren't there previously. And on the topic of resources, there is a very exciting product management organization. I don't know how to describe this. Product Stack LA, oh, yes. which Product Plan is a part of. Tell us about, because there's an event coming up here in LA, January 31st. Yeah. What is it? Yeah, I think that um, uh, the, the idea is that it's about um, planning and measuring and building products. And uh, it is... Uh, um, the first event is in Los Angeles. Um, I think it's downtown at the General Assembly uh, office. And uh, it's um, basically a meetup. Um, and uh, it is uh, co-sponsored by, um, by Product Plan, um, by Pivotal, um, and by Notion. And these are products that um, form this product stack for product managers. Um, and it is really about um, best practices around those areas. And uh, and it'll be it'll be a lot of fun. There's going to be uh, free food and and uh, drinks and and um, it's a chance for product managers in the LA area to network um, and learn from other product managers. And uh, you'll be there, and Greg will be Greg there. Greg will be there as well. Okay, so we're going to have to ask him all of the same questions and see if and his see. answers align here. Yeah. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> okay, that's awesome. So that's January 31. We'll put the details in the show notes. I will be there participating in the conversation with you all. Last question for you, Jim. Is there a personal mantra or quote that you live by, whether it's guides you professionally, guides you personally, guides you both, something that we can put on the wall to um, remember your legacy? Yeah. I mean, you're still here and alive and well, but you know, later when you go into the history books. Yeah, I think that, um, well, Steve Blank in particular has been an influence on me. I think that his, his philosophy of getting out of the building is one that I live by. And um, the, the exact quote is something like, um, there are no facts inside the building, right? So it's this idea that um, you can be inside your own head or you can be around the executive table making decisions, but that's not the truth. The real truth is out there. And, and so that's something that I try to live by is that, well, let's call up a customer and find out from them what they think um, rather than just assuming we know the answer. The truth is out there. Uh, do you think the X-Files were really just talking about customer development? It was like a whole sci-fi metaphor for, yeah, I can't think of a better way to end. So thank you so much for taking the time to be on the show and uh, really appreciate it. We'll see you January 31. It was fun. Thanks, Susan. Cool. Thank you. You're listening to 100 PM, the official podcast for 100productmanagers.com. If you haven't been to our site, please check it out. We have so many great resources for anybody looking to learn more about product management or starting a technology business. I'm your host, Susanna Bate. Join me here. We've got a new conversation every Tuesday. We'll see you next time.